I don't know if you have anything you'd like me to play as the opening, because we could just start with Bomber. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> yes, just right off the bat. There's no hesitation, just like, okay. I love Tatsuro's version, but I love Hideki's also. Like, they're both really great versions. Like, I love the song in general. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, and that's from Big Game 80. And I have listened to that. Um, it has been, you know, kind of unofficially, I think, uploaded on YouTube as like a vinyl rip. Yeah. And wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. His cover versions are something else. There's a live version of that video on YouTube where Wait, he's no. like on a motorcycle what? like running through like uh, driving through the stadium he's not driving a motorcycle but he's like in a sidecar and he's just like singing on his motorcycle bomber to this like i don't even know how many thousands of people it's it's amazing <laughs> it's just like uh, it's, it's surreal like i can't imagine what the people in the audience has been feeling oh my god i'm gonna have to find that because um yeah i was just listening to the vinyl rip like happy as could be and i was like oh there's there's <laughs> video to go with this yeah you have to see that video well, that's um, super exciting. Great song. I'm glad you agreed um, to start this off. So hopefully everybody listening knows me. But um, would you like to <laughs> <laughs> introduce yourself to the sure. uh, J-pop and K-pop fans listening? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm Van Palgam, and I've been DJing City Pop for about five years now. It's going to be, um, I've made it my kind of passion to spread uh, city pop and, and associated genres to Western audiences. And it's kind of like when you first discover uh, Asian music in general, sometimes you kind of have preconceived notions about what it's supposed to be or what it's going to sound like. But when you find artists that you really like almost relate to, even though sometimes you aren't completely fluent, like this kind of music takes over you. And, you know, it, it's it's an amazing thing. And I just want more people to experience it in the West. Yeah, I definitely um, felt like you were a kindred spirit when I read your um, blog post on Hideki, Saijo Hideki, um, which is the topic. It's a great topic. <laughs> it's such a great topic and um, not one that I was really expecting to 
delve into at the end of 2020, but <laughs> I had been reposting my idol history series that I'd written a couple years ago. I'd posting the transcripts, and um, I talk about Hideki in episode three, and um, he is a fundamental part of the the puzzle. But you know, I don't focus on him a lot. It's kind of a broad overview. But it was enough that um, these Hideki fans found me and started like flooding my um, Twitter mentions. So yeah, I guess he's, he's still really got that active fandom, which is very exciting. His Twitter fans are some of the most devoted people like there are. And, you know, whatever they're doing, it's working because we're talking about him now at the end of 2020. You know, and he's an amazing artist, and I, I really do feel he deserves more attention. Um, he should be reviewed for his musical talents and his just creative live performances, which were, you know, uh, amazing today. Like, I think he was probably Japan's first, like, mega superstar. Like, he had that star quality that, like, uh, Western people had in a way. But uh, he translated it into, you know, a kind of like a Japanese kind of perspective really well. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to talk about him and I'm sure you've already heard a couple of his albums, right? No, actually I haven't. And here's the thing. So I am a huge, um, like enthusiast of J-pop Japanese records. And when I go to Japan, I like to go to Tower Records and like, um, browse around and buy things. But, um, I've never really been able to find any, um, Saijo Hideki, like album albums. Um, yeah, and so I have a, a three-disc Golden Best, it's like the, um, it's like all his, like, A-sides, basically, and I've been listening to that for, you know, years, um, with little other context for anything, um, you know, I liked that, I liked his, um, you know, clips I would find on YouTube, and that was enough to make me kind of an enthusiast, but um, it's kind of hard to find his albums, I think. Yeah, you know, and that's an interesting point because um, some of the people on Twitter were saying that uh, they, the uh, the rights manager uh, and the people who kind of safe keep his music are a little bit kind of strange. You know, they're, they're really protective of it and they don't, um, it's like they don't cooperate with the fans and what the fans want to kind of show the world. And they're hoping that this kind of uh, surge of positive, like, uh, social media content that they're putting out is going to kind of, in a way, create more awareness overseas for Hideki. And that'll drive the need for, like, Sony and all these rights holders to uh, kind of start releasing it to the West and kind of, like, drip feeding it to everyone and i i think it's working i, I think it's a, it's a it's a really good way of you know building more uh kind of like a fan base overseas because i'm sure he has a fan base overseas but it's just now starting to grow and it's growing uh parallel to kind of like the city pop movement in a way yeah that's kind of interesting um I, yeah I, I mean i feel like he probably had the same uh sort of diaspora fan base Plus, um, yeah, just enthusiasts of pop music back in the day. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, you know, I feel like his music would do really well on like one of those like craft, like one of those like Rhino records or like one, you know what I mean? Like one of those nice with a, a nice liner notes booklet or something right. like that. Because, um, I mean, one of my favorite things in the whole world is basically that whole 70s like Kaio Kyoku era where all the 
uh, backing band arrangements were just these like lush, you know, like <laughs> yeah. orchestral, the kind yeah. of stuff that like deserves to be remastered and just presented in like the the full quality sound that you just want to like put on your headphones and just like sit and just soak in it. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> やめろと言われても今では遅すぎた激しい恋の風に巻き込まれたら最後さやめろと言われても一度決めた心恋に焦がれて焼かれて もしも恋が叶うならばどんなことでもするだろう僕の人生を変えてしまうのか黒い黒い瞳の So maybe we should give just like a little background on Hideki for people that don't know. Saijo Hideki is from Hiroshima, and he he kind of grew up playing jazz, um, jazz music, um, jazz bass guitar, then he switched to jazz drums. So Hiroshima is close to like um, a military base in Iwakuni. So it seems like there was some like heavy rock influence probably from that military base, um, which kind of tracks with sort of the early kind of group sounds era. There was a lot of like um, influence from like bands like The Ventures and then sort of these um, kind of camp towns. So yeah, he left home at 16. He got scouted and went to Tokyo in the early 70s and then debuted. And his uh, little catchphrase when he debuted <laughs> was... Yeah, that's the key catchphrase <laughs> that he has. Wild uh, 17 um, the wild 17-year-old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so when he debuted in 1972, he was part of what was called, sort of by the media, the Gosankei, or like the big three, um, who were Gohiromi, uh, Hideki, and then uh, Noguchi Goro. And so the three of them were kind of like grouped together by the media and um, sort of had like their careers kind of followed similar trajectories um up to you know the 90s really yeah um so yeah so he was kind of just like this wild 17 year old and then just sort of um and he had like sort of a slow ramp up but then just exploded in the mid 70s and was just performing like solo to baseball stadiums basically right in china too because he had a lot of like uh, crossover into other asian countries oh, yeah. so he was kind of yeah. like the first 
you know, Japanese singer to become this, you know, huge star um, in China and uh, and other Asian countries where um, at the time, and this is what I find really interesting that, you know, for uh, kind of like an era when singers weren't supposed to like move too much, like Hideki didn't care. He would just go on stage and he'd like gyrate his hips. And, you know, back then this was like something that's unheard of, like, who's this man on stage just, you know, shaking his hips like that? It was like controversial in a way, but it worked to his advantage because, you know, people remembered him and he, you know, other other artists followed suit. And before you know it, you know, the Hideki standard for, uh, you know, performance style was becoming something more uh, like accepted, more like a standardized almost. So he kind of opened the floodgates, I think, in a way for Asian singers to start being more, you uh, kind of wild on stage, I guess. He's always had that wild 17-year-old kind of spirit, and he carried that into everything he did. And, and you know, it, it still felt today. Like, I think the music still has a fresh vibe to it because he, he never lost, like, that, you know, that kind of wild side to him, which I think is essential for Hideki music, for sure. Oh, my God. Yeah, he just has... I mean, you can really hear that passion, you know, just like 50 years later like through the mm-hmm. th- like through the grooves <laughs> and the vinyl like you can feel yeah. it it you know like there's this idea of i don't know i don't want to get like too like deep but i'll do it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> i was just talking with my parents um the other day about the idea of like memes and um you know i was like oh like cat pictures i was like no like that <laughs> you know like that like these these little bits of and pieces of culture that kind of get transmitted down until they sort of lose all connection with the original piece right but you know if you come into to j-pop today and you see um somebody like tm revolution and you look at what he's doing and you think like oh wow this is so like unique and original but then you see hideki and you're like oh wait a minute (laughs) (laughs) like oh okay like i get it like that's where that's where it came from like he's the original um, and so you see these echoes, um, like all of his kind of uh, sort of progeny, like all through the, the early 80s, like guys like um, Machi, Kondo Masahiko. Revolution. Um, I mean, you hear it today, like Golden Bomber, I think, are directly influenced by Hideki.
still feel those echoes of his influence just sort of trickled down through the ages and you wouldn't know like coming as an outsider like you wouldn't know um, exactly. you gotta go back you gotta you gotta go back right that dna that is still there like that music dna just kind of continued on and uh you know it inspired uh, a generation of artists that, that came after him and you know it, it's it's something to be said about you know having your music being played you know almost 50 years later like by uh you know people halfway across the world it's 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 an amazing accomplishment and i think this is just a start for uh i think japanese and asian musical appreciation i think we're entering like a new era uh now that we have more means for like instant translation uh things are becoming more accessible for uh, people in the west to be able to enjoy asian music in a new way like k-pop you know it's definitely a thing and uh but i think that's just a start you know like i think there's more to come and you know it's it's more evident than ever because uh, i think there was like a mickey matsubara song that was like at the top of uh spotify's global chart and she was trending on tiktok i mean that's amazing that's the song that was trending on tiktok i listened to a podcast the other day and they were talking about this japanese new wave song that was like taking over tiktok and i was like what song was they were like (laughs) what song could that be i had no idea Yeah, it was it was uh, Mayonaka no Door, uh, Stay With Me, oh, and uh, okay. that that's one of her most beautiful songs. It's probably one of the most iconic city pop songs. If you ask anyone, you know that's right up there in the top ten city pop songs of all time. That's I mean it, it just has, it's a timeless timeless song, and you know, it's 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 immaculate. It's, I can't say I can't say one negative thing about it because it's so beautiful. That's how. <laughs> that's um yeah i had no idea but yeah i i get your point though about the um things like accessibility and um translation because when i first started getting into sort of asian pop culture i mean there was very little that was translated and the stuff that was translated it was very kind of selected towards particular interests you know anime anime songs um you know that kind of thing and there's nothing wrong with with that like there are some great anime songs but um you know if you're talking about kind of um mainstream japanese music that like everybody in the country would know um that kind of stuff it's it doesn't get out a lot like it's not really exported yeah i i feel that so much because you know before city pop i had a very mild interest in uh, contemporary J-pop music, and it just didn't hit the right notes for me in, in a way. Uh, the only one that did, I, I, and I remember this very fondly, is the end theme to Cowboy Bebop by, uh, it's called Real Folk Blues by Maya Mane. And 
And um, that was kind of my gateway into city pop, even though I, had, I didn't even know it at the time. But My Yamana has a, has a beautiful album uh, from, I believe, 1979 called Tasogare. Um, and it's... it's it's immaculate too. It's a, it's one of the first albums that I really started listening to, and it kind of set me into motion and to discovering all these similar artists. But yeah, there's very I had very little interest in Japanese music uh, in, in earlier years because I, there was there was really nothing that really struck me. You know, there, was, there wasn't anything that like called out to me and said, "Hey, you know what? This is you know this this is what you've been looking for." Until I started hearing you know, City Pop and Tatsuri Yamashita and Maria Takeuchi. And then I started to understand, you know, there's more to Japanese music that we've that we haven't been told. You know, it's almost like musical history that was like kind of lost to time in a way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the reasons um, I even wanted to start doing this podcast is because I realized, yeah, the way I, I like to describe it is um, Japanese music, it runs parallel to kind of American or Western music. So, you know, they kind of track the same um, and, you know, influences cross back and forth, but they're really on parallel tracks and some things will seem similar just on the surface, but you kind of scratch down a little beneath and you're like, wow, all <laughs> these influences are so different than what I thought. Um, I mean, one of the stars um, I'm extremely fond of is Sawada Kenji. Julie, and I have a three-part <laughs> podcast series on um, the Tigers, which was his band. Um, the third part is I'm currently editing it, but it should be up um, probably after this one. But yeah, yeah, Sawada Kenji. And um, like he is interesting because so when um, Hideki first debuted, he was called like the Hiroshima no Judy, like Hiroshima's Julie. And if you listen to those early tracks from like 72, 73, I guess, they really were giving him this material that was, um, I don't want to say generic. It wasn't generic, but it, it, it wasn't kind of written for his strengths. And it did sound a lot like the kind of stuff that Sawada Kenji was doing, which, I mean, was extremely popular. Um, and it was sort of this, um, I don't know, like these kyokyoku, which is the the genre of the 70s it's kind of like a like a cross between like Inca music and like pop and rock it's like at the intersection of Inca and pop and rock so you get these like beautiful melodies and um a lot of emotion um but the it's not like the lyrics all about like the I mean Inca lyrics are very poetic and kind of nostalgic and um, sort of drawing back to history and nature metaphors and that kind of stuff. Whereas like Kaiokyoku, the lyrics are a lot more contemporary. Okay. 
And I feel like it's when Hideki, when he, when they finally sort of unleash and sort of unlock that, that emotion, like, <laughs> cause his early songs are kind of cutesy. And I mean, they're, they're a bit more like hard hitting than like, uh, you know, the other two of the big three, but it's when he hits that mid seventies and they just sort of unlock the, the real wildness. <laughs> and yeah. you, get, you get like songs like Jonets and Arashi where I mean I, my god like <laughs> you know all these years later you, that he does that like growl almost when he hits that Arashi like he just growls it and you're like whoa like they let this kid in the studio I mean, he was just like eating up the microphone. It's insane. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, in his voice, he has a, a very unique kind of characteristic to his singing style that you know it, it's very unique to Hideki and um, that was that was, that's what makes him memorable and you know his, his voice is one of a kind and you know uh, I think uh, mid 70s I think that's when because um, I was talking on Twitter with a lot of his supporters and, and, and you know he received a lot of negative press in Japan around that time and I think that's when uh, probably at you know at the same time when he started doing this more wilder freeform kind of stuff uh, that was like a departure from the half anka kind of stuff that was that he was doing earlier and um you know a lot of people thought that was like unfair what they were they were kind of kind of they weren't like specifically attacking him but they would kind of uh, ignore his accomplishments and uh, ignore all the the media and all the press he was getting, uh, you know, in China and all that. And they they really would they weren't appreciative of what made Hideki so such a such a creative powerhouse. You know, I think for them they probably thought he was probably aggressively um, like show offy in a way because he was just so good at everything he did that he probably just seemed. Like he was like this savant kind of person and flaunting it, but it was just Hideki being Hideki. I don't think he was trying to be anyone other than who he was, because you could feel that through his music. He he's definitely um, a very uh, like powerful kind of uh, soul person. Like he sings from the soul, and you can you you could feel that through his music. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's a good way 
to put it like you really can feel his soul like he put everything on stage he put everything on stage um he put everything into his singing everything into his performance i mean he reminds me of um uh, yoshiki from ex japan who's another one of these sort of savant type i mean just he puts everything into his music if i if i can take like a little divergence into yoshiki yeah because, of course please. okay so they you know he there is actually a really good documentary on him in ex japan that's on i don't know if it's on netflix or amazon prime but it's it's worth watching um well worth watching but the two of them so i didn't realize this until i started kind of um doing a little research for this episode but around hideki's 25th anniversary he had kind of a resurgence i i, I want to say it was kind of like I don't know if you remember the late 90s in America. <laughs> vaguely, vaguely. I was like 14, 15, okay. I think. So you're, um, you're a little bit younger than me. But so around that time, there was this big nostalgia boom for like um, Bird Baccarat and um, also for like glam rock there was this movie that came out called velvet gold velvet gold mine i've seen that one okay okay So there was this whole big like movement of just sort of you know, like quote unquote like rediscovering these guys from the seventies who had sort of fallen out of fashion. Um, like they were considered real lame, like by you know the the generation that came back. But then the generation after them was like, wait a second, these guys were awesome, and <laughs> so and so they like brought them all back, and. Um, yeah, like so, like nineteen ninety seven, his twenty fifth anniversary. You get the um, CD that I really would like more than anything else, which is the um, <laughs> like <laughs> Saito Hideki Rock or Rock Tributo Kids Wanna Rock, which <laughs> is basically like a Velvet Goldmine style um, oh cover God. versions of his songs by people like the High Lows um, and Raleigh, who is like well big name in my book but yeah like i found a few um like uploaded on youtube and wow
Wow, wow, wow. So yeah, so you had this like sort of glam rock resurgence of all these singers who were like, actually, Hideki is awesome. You guys don't know what you're talking about. And then you also had him hook up with X Japan's Yoshiki for this amazing single called Moment, which I want to say kind of really gave him a big boost. Uh, you know, he went back on Kohaku and it really put him back in the spotlight. Like, you know, because I mean, X Japan and Yoshiki are, uh, I mean, and were then too, like, yeah, huge. And to have somebody like Yoshiki who was like cool and, you know, a real artist and whatever say, like, actually, Saijo Hideki is amazing. I mean, I don't think you can underestimate, like, the kind of respect that that is. <laughs> I totally feel that. I mean, and when I first heard, uh, like on like uh, social media, a lot of people were talking when he passed away. You know, oh, a singer best known for his cover of YMCA, uh, which he called Young Man. And I thought that was kind of like, um, well, the more I started reading about him, I'm like, well, I mean, I don't think that that cover defined him because he was so much more than just a cover of YMCA. And I thought that was really unfair. Um, because I mean, if you listen, like I'm more big into his '80s discography, uh, and he did a cover of um, "Careless Whisper" called uh, I, "I Could," I think it's "Da uh, Kishimete Jitterbug" or something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. That's such a good one, and I have it on vinyl. And um, whenever I, I made a note to always play it, because I, you know, I, I play, a, I used to play before the pandemic, uh, a lot, of, a lot of vinyl like uh, places, like uh, bars around Chicago. And uh, every night I would play it towards the end of the night, you know, because it's kind of like a lower like <laughs> tempo kind of thing. Yeah. And people would like everyone's like neck would just break and look at me and um you know at the start because when you hear that saxophone you just immediately know it's careless whisper but when the when Hideki's vocals come on he starts singing in Japanese there's like this collective like oh <laughs> and everyone just starts dancing and it's, it's that's amazing but I mean he's he's defined by so many more things than just cover songs and uh, it's it's amazing, I, and uh, today I'm st I'm still uncovering things about him that I would never have been able to know uh, have known if not for uh, people on Twitter. His his supporters on Twitter are something else. They like they they will give you everything they know about Hideki. 
They are mm-hmm. awesome. I was so happy to get them all in my mentions. I was like, yeah, all right. Because um, they turned me on to uh, the film he did in 1975 that was, I want to say, the first um, sort of concert film, sort of this big scale concert film in Japan. Um, and it's incredible. I mean, it is incredible. I mean, I, I did a lot of research on him when I was writing that article on my website, oh, yeah. and yeah, yeah, man, yeah. there's just there's so much. I mean, he really is like the first superstar uh, of Japan, I think, you know, in in a Western kind of way, because he was the equivalent of what we would have, like an Evil Knievel meets Elvis meets, you know, <laughs> meets Freddie Mercury. Like he's like a mashup of like all of our greatest superstars and even, you know, some David Bowie thrown in there because some of those outfits he wears. Oh wow. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It was, I think it was blow up Hideki. Oh, the one where in a helicopter. Oh yes. Where he, oh my God. Um, it's, oh, it's so great. Yeah. Um, the concert stuff, I hadn't realized until these, you know, fans found me and encouraged me to um, look up more. But I mean, I knew, because I had done all this research on sort of idol concerts and and stuff like that. Like, I knew that he had innovated a lot. Like, things like the use of pen lights or light sticks, if you're a K-pop fan, um, in the audience where, you know, no one had done that before. And now this is standard at, like, an idol show that you you have a light stick or a, a pen light. Is that like a, a little inflatable light up? Uh, like, it looks like a glow stick, but it's just, like, huge... Yeah, it's like a kind of like a glow stick, and I think the early ones probably were glow sticks. Um, now they're they're battery operated, but I mean it is standard now to have these for any kind of idol concert you go to. But I mean he was the first one to do this, and um, some of the other things that I you know I saw like the the way that he used the um, this thrust stage where it kind of um, you know, he's not just on the, the stage. There's like a thrust stage that comes out into the audience. Hmm. Um, I, thrust you know, I stage. Yeah, thrust huh. stage is what it's called. Um, and then he also used a um, moving stage to go around the stadium. And wow. I mean, this is all, like this is the, you know, mid to late <laughs> 70s. He's doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, he, he would go up um, in like cranes. And um, I, I mean, I... I had no idea before I like saw it with my own eyes <laughs> that somebody was doing this in the yeah. 70s because all of this stuff, I mean, it is, um, you know, not even uh, idol groups. I mean, Arashi, like a group like Arashi or SMAP um, at the end of their time would do things like this. But I mean, that's with like video screens and sort of modern sound equipment. But the idea of like, going out and singing a ballad on a thrust stage before <laughs> in-ear monitors <laughs> like, <laughs> like come on like wow. who else is doing this and yeah. you know you see him with those headphones on and you're like oh my god like this team like Hideki and his <laughs> team worked so hard yep. to to like innovate uh, I mean it is just incredible Oh, yeah. I mean, big game 80 for me uh, like that when he was riding around on that motorcycle, just singing his heart out. I'm like, whoa, this is this is amazing. And um, I think today even I saw like one of one someone on Twitter posted like a video of him like hanging upside down on a trapeze wire or something like that, just singing with no like safety rope. He's just like, 
out there not caring. It's like, well, that's that's Hideki. is a wild 17-year-old spirit that's always going to be that 17-year-old from Hiroshima City, just like rebellious and just like, you know what, he's going to go and he's going to, you know, do what he wants to do and he's going to make his fans happy because you could tell that he wanted to please the audience every time. I, I watched, um, one of the other things I watched sort of before this recording was his appearance on um, Tetsuko no Heia, which is um, the little chat show, the long-running chat show. If this was, I think, 70, 78 or 79 he went on. And she asked him about his costumes and like, <laughs> like, like, oh, why, you know, what, what's the deal with these costumes? You have? And he's like, well, I sweat a lot. So, <laughs> so it's just like practical. Guitars, that kind of thing. Oh my gosh. She, there is in, cause I did watch big game 78 and at one point, like towards the end, I mean, he just strips off. He is in a pair of lime green, I mean, essentially just like speedos, <laughs> you know, and he is holding court in the center of this baseball stadium. I wow. mean, it, yeah, it's just amazing. When you think of how conservative Japanese media was at the time, this, this is probably why they were like kind of viewing him in a really critical light because, you know, being immodest is a little bit of a taboo. So, you know, him in a lime green Speedo in the middle of a stadium with <laughs> thousands of people cheering was probably a little bit more than they wanted from a, from a super, from a pop star, I guess, from an idol because, you know, he was an idol back then. So, yeah, yeah it's funny. Um, just thinking about because like I said like the whole like idea like the meme culture right and you know you yeah like again like TM revolution and he had these like sort of bondagey outfits that when he first sort of came out in the um late 90s but you're like whoa like why is he so naked <laughs> like, on stage and then you're like oh okay so Hideki in the lime green speedo like direct line to, to this kind of um you know sort of wild style but it's um yeah it's pretty great and the the live performance i think is a huge huge part of his appeal and so when he came up in the 70s um you know the whole kayo kyoku era and that really was the era of tv music and not videos not music videos but of like tv performance which is i mean such a I mean, a blessing for us now because now there's all these great YouTube clips of shows like The Best Ten or like um, there are there are all these like TV like with all these live performances, and I mean he just shone in live performance. I mean his recordings are great, like the albums and singles, but the lot like just live he just conveys so much energy and emotion. Mm -hmm. Right. It's raw energy. And, you know, you feel it. Uh, you could tell the people in the audience at the time were just, you know, they were just going crazy. Like he just, you know, he has that aura of just, you know, is magnanimous kind of person. And, you know, he's he stands at like six foot tall. Like he's yeah. for Japanese standards. He's like almost a giant. And he's just, you know, amazing. He gets on stage and he's just like shaking his hips and just like his yeah. expressions and uh, when he's holding the microphone like he sings from the heart and from the soul and there's just this energy is so, it's just raw and like you can still feel it today and even through the vinyl you hear it and it's like whoa this is amazing anytime i ever play a hideki song um uh, when i'm out like well when i used to dj um people would always ask me like well what are you playing who is this person like, yeah oh, it's hideki saijo 
And um, he has a couple songs like that in the 80s that are just like almost like new wave like bangers. Like these are like like Beat Street. Have you heard that? Yeah. All right. I'm going to drop Beat Street in here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now. like left to right left to right left to right like that's so cool (laughs) yeah it was genius and it's such a it's such a bop like i love it it's uh i mean i i think that's on off the album twilight made and that album is from 1985 and uh the funny thing is that beat street was like um this kind of hip-hop uh breakdance it was a title of like a breakdance movie from the west from 1984 so I think I'm not sure, like, uh, if maybe he was influenced by it or if he felt that, you know, like, let me name this track Beat Street. And uh, it's it's kind of relating to that movie in a way. I'm not sure, but uh, I'm definitely going to look into that or ask maybe his supporters on Twitter and see if they know. Oh, my gosh. They'll definitely know. Yeah, that's sort of, um, <laughs> outside because, I mean, my wheelhouse, I think I mentioned before, is really the 70s. Um just because I've done so much research into uh, Salvador Kenji and the Tigers and um, that era is really more my um, base of knowledge. But yeah, when I started listening to his 80s stuff, which I hadn't really done before, I was extremely impressed. That Beat Street is, um, yeah, that is a bop, as the kids say. (laughs) I think it should should be the next TikTok song. (laughs) Oh my God. <laughs> Let's make it a TikTok yeah. hit. Come on. Let's do it for right, TikTok, sure. That TikTok is surrender. Teens. Yeah, TikTok teens, you have your challenge. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's bring back uh, Beat Street. I mean, it's it's a, you know it's, it's a clever phrase too. Like it's uh, you know the Beat Street. You know everybody, everybody likes going on the Beat Street. You know for your the beats, right? The beats that slap. <laughs> um, I think we should go back to YMCA though because. I think you made a really good point when you brought it up. he really was more than this cover but this cover is kind of what we know about him if anyone knows anything about him at all in the west and i think this is where like so you know like i talked about like my my impression that japanese music it really runs parallel to to american music and there are some crossovers like this song but you know where we just have this automatic reaction to it as oh that's like a really campy gay song like I don't think that is the image in Japan and if you you have to take away those goggles of the campy like gay culture and look at it from the point of view of Japan in the late 70s and 
I mean, you see that it is a song about youthful, like vigorous, like masculinity, like it, it really is about like that, that just celebration of, of just youth and of just being a young man. And, um, you know, it had like a, a dance that went with it, not just the YMCA part, but there was like other, like almost like a punching like a boxing oh yeah like i've seen the live version yeah. it's like some punching it's like proto para para dancing yeah it's like a nice little like um sort of boxing just very mm -hmm. but i mean that was hideki he was vigorous and uh, mm -hmm. just kind of i mean he was masculine like even though he wore kind of these sort of david bowie kind of things <laughs> but he never came across as like vulgar or mm -hmm. um never. like he never mm -hmm. comes across as like sleazy or anything mm -hmm. um or just wholesome like... he's, yes he's wholesome even yeah. when he's in a you know glam green yeah yeah leotard or something like he just has that like wholesome energy to him like it's like yeah. a real energy i guess absolutely like he um like yeah like even when he's wearing a lime green speedo in the center of a baseball stadium <laughs> he never comes across like he's certainly sexy but he he doesn't come across as like sleazy or anything like that like he looks like he's never tasted skim milk <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean like, yeah <laughs> maybe that's why his is like the people who like are so devoted to him like they, they you know they constantly say you know he's the most handsome japanese star and, and and you know other people were jealous of him and that's kind of why they treated him the way like he was portrayed because he was just so amazing at everything he was he was you know he was good looking he was talented he was creative he had this huge base he's been in music since he was you know so young like yeah. he had everything going for him and maybe that's what probably drove a lot of media to kind of set him aside in a way and not give him the uh, the merit that he deserved well, i think also and, and i mean maybe this is just sort of projecting back but i really do think he was ahead of his time in a lot of ways and I think that people who are visionary, um, you know, in their time tend to get sort of derided or um, criticized because they're not following what everybody else is doing. You know, they're doing something different and it's kind of weird and, oh, we don't like it. Like, you know, um, but then looking back, you think like, oh, like he was he wasn't weird. He was a visionary. Um, and I think that that's, that's part of the, the issue, um, because you did have, you know, Sawada Kenji, who also, um, was kind of a David Bowie type, um, guy, like, especially in his later years. But I, I think what's interesting is that Sohideki's career kind of follows that teen idol path, and he has that dip in popularity kind of going into the 80s, you know, when he gets up around 30, and I think he, he, he leaves his agency and starts his own company, and from what I understand, it was kind of an amicable split, but I, you know, my just best guess, and the Twitter fans can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, he may not have had the resources as like a, you know, um, owning all of his stuff to sort of mount these big tours anymore, um, and, you know, his, his sort of popularity dips a bit as sort of the fans that were teen, teen girls, and, you know, they moved on, and, I mean, that's what teen girl fans do, like, they move on, you know, they go to college or get married, and, you know, they're not pinning up his posters anymore. 
and um, yeah, but then you have that boom at his 25th anniversary, and you know it 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 matches again with um, Go Hiromi, who also had that same kind of boom in the late 90s. But you know, poor Hideki, his I think his health was just not good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he he reminds me a bit if you watch sort of his later sort of that like 90s performances, sort of late 90s, early 2000s. He reminds me of, um, you know, like soccer players. Hmm. Are you a soccer fan at all? Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, mildly. OK, so, you know, somebody like um, Pirlo. Who... Mm, mm-hmm. OK, so like, you know, he might have been running all around over the pitch in his youth, but then he you know, gets up to his 40s and, you know, he's not quite as, like, he's still, like, the maestro. Like, he can still get it done, but he's he's not, like, running all around all over the place. And you can kind of see Hideki kind of slow down. And just knowing what I know about, like, professional athletes and dancers and, I mean, that, that stuff is, you know, it really does a toll on your body. And, um, I know they didn't have like modern like cryotherapy and all that stuff back then. So yeah, I guess it was 2000, was it 2003? I don't want to get this wrong. The oh, when, oh, it, it was, yeah. um, I think he had two. He had one, I'm not sure if it was 2017, but I know in 2018 is when, you know, that the unfortunate event happened, he passed. Yeah. Um, and, I want to say um, that I want to say it was 2003 because I, I bought his um, autobiography, but my reading in Japanese is really slow, so I knew I wasn't going to finish it in time um, to talk with you. Um, hoping to still finish it at some point, but he was in Korea doing a dinner show um, in uh, at Jeju Island, which is sort of off the coast and um, kind of rural, and he wasn't feeling well. And he went to the sauna, and then I guess like the next morning he woke up, and like half his body was just, yeah, yeah. And they like took him to the hospital, but like the doctor, like there was no doctor because <laughs> it's Jeju Island. Wow. And, like the doctor was like off that day. I mean, and so <laughs> like, he tells the doctor's story. off today. <laughs> yeah, so he tells a story in his memoir, and it's like. They had to like patch through to like his doctor in Tokyo and like go back and forth with like a translator and like, oh, you probably had a stroke. And he tells it with such like humor and and just sort of grace. Um, I mean, it's yeah, yeah, it's it's just, you know, just accepting that, you know, he gave everything to to his music and yeah he's definitely i mean i remember uh you know the day that it happened it was like tens of thousands of people just like you know on social media talking about it at least you know on the japanese side because you know he was still loved you know even though he was kind of disregarded by uh popular japanese uh music reviewers and critics and stuff like that but he was still he still had a very active fan base oh my god he still does today and it's still growing that's that's amazing yeah have you seen i mean i vividly remember watching this on um tv i don't remember what year it was it might have been 2017 2016 um but they showed him he had just come back from his second stroke and he was going to perform for his fans and i mean like he comes out on stage and he'd worked so hard at rehab 
and just in front of this crowd of like, I mean, middle-aged women, like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and they were just so positive and just enthusiastic and, and just like that, like a packed, I mean, just this packed theater of, of middle-aged women who like ready to yell like hideki like at all the appropriate places in the songs like it, i mean it was so touching I, i'm sure i wasn't the only one who was just like sitting there misty-eyed <laughs> <laughs> like the power that he had still you know just how hard he fought to come back um yeah it's pretty incredible and i i remember when he passed too um it was really sad it was really really sad yeah, um, I remember uh, there's this really famous DJ um, named Dimitri from Paris, and uh, on that day, you know, he posted, he did a remix of one of Hideki's songs, Through the Night. Yeah, so and that's a really popular remix apparently. Um, and so when I when I saw it, I mean, I had I had listened to it through the night, but I didn't know that it had been. I guess that's one of his other like really popular songs that made it out like to other uh, overseas for that's like remixers and stuff like yeah. that. Um, but um, I remember because I, I was like, wow. Well, I mean, a lot of people were talking about him, and people started posting remixes and stuff like that that they've made and that they've heard and. You know, that that really starts to open your eyes to, you know, who this person was and how influential he was. And he worked with so many other artists at the time, too. Like, he knew Henry, Junko Hashi. Like, he he was all over the place. And um, he also collabed with um, uh, Yoshino Fujimao, um, which is another guy. I think they were, like, um, kind of parallel. They worked together uh, at some point in the early 70s. And uh, that's another another point that I I really want to kind of touch up on at a later time but um Yoshino Fujimori he's an incredible artist and he's kind of in the same spirit as uh Hideki uh and he's still alive and so I, I kind of want to uh eventually do an article about him too yeah that yeah that would be great um yeah you know what's funny you mentioned Dimitri from Paris is I had I probably still have it actually somewhere a CD that came, that was like kind of big like around indie I, I had a college radio show (laughs) 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 like the college radio circuit um and that was the same era I'm talking about like the late 90s where like Serge Gainsbourg is another one that had kind of like a boom like all of a sudden everybody was playing France Gaul and um yeah so I'm wondering there must have been some crossover with Hideki around that time in the late 90s with people like Dimitri from Paris that's really cool I'm like connecting all these dots that's really yeah all the best people knew him I guess yeah I mean I guess music insiders and anyone uh, keen on you know music in general was probably yeah. like wow I mean there's this amazing singer I mean it's 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 almost like a downplaying how uh, amazing he was and uh, you know how much more recognition he should be receiving and, and who knows you know maybe he'll have another resurgence in like 10 20 years and there's like you know there's not k-pop is h-pop and it's everyone is like you know devoted to hideki overseas <laughs> and everywhere who knows you know no one really foresaw that 
City Pop was going to have this resurgence at the, you know, at the end of the uh, decade. And, you know, here we are discussing, you know, Hideki Saijo and City Pop and City Pop's making the rounds. And, you know, it's, it's incredible how uh, music cycles back and forth and, you know, everything that's old eventually becomes new again. Well, and I mean, my big thing is that like talent, talent, creativity, like all that stuff, it just stays good. It doesn't matter you know, what the year is or when, when it is, um, you know, looking back, I think, and one of the reasons I do think it's important to have these kinds of conversations is that it's really easy for history to get rewritten and to sort of take the values of today or like the, what's popular today and kind of project it backwards and the sort of American example I like to use is um, Roger Miller. Are you familiar mm. with him at all? Yes, I've, I've heard. Yeah, he's a country singer. Um, and he actually, it was his song that kicked the Beatles yesterday off the number one spot and like the Billboard Hot 100. But I like to bring up Roger Miller because um, he was an incredibly talented vocalist and um, he used a lot of like jazz elements in his singing um and he just was very he was just this very talented vocalist very talented songwriter very talented performer who's almost completely forgotten now um but you know back in the day he was huge he had his own tv show like yeah like he knocked the beatles off the top of the charts yeah <laughs> you know yeah. yeah which is and i think um you know i think hideki somebody like hideki is in danger of that kind of rewriting of history where, you know, he did have all these, um, all this talent. And I mean, he's another one you can hear. I mean, you can hear that jazz in his singing. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Have you heard, um, blue sky blue? Oh yeah. That's one of like his most like known songs. Like he is known for that. That ending where he Mm -hmm. does that like counter melody. that in popular music now like where do you hear somebody just doing like like this this like jazzy like counter melody over sort of sort of the straight melody and he has songs where he'll flip from i forget the title but there's one he goes from like three four to four four just goes back and forth back and forth i mean he was very technically gifted um he definitely had an ear um he had an ear for rhythm and he definitely you can hear that jazz influence Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, his discography ranges from, like, almost every kind of genre. Like, he could do any singing style. And, like, if you were to see, like, one of his concerts, like, not a stadium concert, but he would just do kind of just, like, smaller theaters sometimes. Yeah, like the, and, like, the, um, like they called him, like, dinner, like a dinner show. Yeah, that 
that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, he would go from Frank Sinatra to Freddie Mercury, like, uh, you know, in, in half a minute. Like, he had so many different ranges, and he was, like, a, almost like a master at everything. He could sing in almost any key. Like, he was he was a genius. Like, uh, yeah. I, I can't say that enough. And, like, I really do hope that, you know, this continues, this trend continues, and, like, he starts to – you know, maybe retroactively be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, and, that would be awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, Japanese music and Asian music in general has been kind of, you know, almost disregarded in the West. But I, uh, I'm hoping that, you know, with your podcast and all your efforts that you've been doing, like, and other people, like so many other people kind of with the same mission, uh, like, all together unified, eventually will bring, like, a new kind of era where, like, there's a cultural coalescence of Asian music and Western music. And, you know, there's more of a unified musical kind of history. I, I really hope so, because, I mean, you know, I, like, well, like I said, I just finished this um, three-part series on the tigers who were kind of the first big rock band in they were first they were both the first big rock band in like the first big idol group in japan um i mean there was like they had kind of like a beatles-ish hysteria for a few years um but that you I mean they were very aware of like the ventures and the beatles and they had um they were called the the liverpool three even though it was like the Beatles, the, the um, Dave Clark Five, and the Rolling Stones. I mean, only one is from Liverpool, but, you know, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that was, like, the genre was, like, the Liverpool Three. And, um, yeah, so, like, they're they're very aware of what we do here. And uh, maybe I shouldn't – well, so when I was in Osaka um, a couple years ago, like, I was waiting for my friend, um, and I was, like, killing time in HMV. And they had, like, a whole little section dedicated to Liam Gallagher with, like, you know, like, lovingly handwritten notes and, like, his CDs were all faced out. And I'm like, where on, like, nowhere else is (laughs) (laughs) crafting a nice little CD section to Liam Gallagher and, like, Oasis. I mean, I was happy. Like, I I loved (laughs) Oasis. But, you know, and um, I feel like we just haven't paid the same kind of attention back and I mean part of that is just America is very myopic but I think part of it too is that you know Japan doesn't export its culture for the most part um and you know it is left up to enthusiasts like um you and me really to kind of um help sort of um translate or um you know just give context because I think it can be overwhelming. I'm sure you felt that. I felt that. Like, sort of you you watch, yeah, like you watch a Japanese music show or video or something, and you're like, wait a second, who's this? Who's this? I've never heard that song. Like, I've been, I've been doing this for a long time, and still I'll watch Music Station or, um, you know, some other show, and they'll have, like, a tribute to this legendary artist who's been around for 40 years. And I'm like, who the heck is that? <laughs> I've never heard of this person before. And I like frantically yeah. Google, like, who are they talking about? And, you know, you, you see these like pages of um, stuff on Wikipedia and you're like, oh my God, it's really overwhelming. Um, it takes a long time to kind of get a handle on sort of the major players and and the genres and um, the the ways that everything kind of fits together because one of the interesting things when I was looking at um, 
Hideki's sort of discography is that he worked with this guy a lot. Well, he worked with these two guys a lot in the 70s, uh, Miki Takashi, who was sort of an Inca songwriter, basically. And he wrote for like um, Ishikawa Sayuri. This is kind of like, huh. <laughs> so he was like working with this Enka songwriter, but then he worked with this other songwriter, Makai no Koji, um, who wrote a lot of songs for like Johnny's groups. So, I mean, he wrote for like Sexy Zone in Arashi. He's <laughs> <laughs> like contemporary um, groups, but then was also writing for Hideki back in the 70s. And so. Yeah, it's just such a, I don't know, like he worked with these, just legends. Um, but, but yeah, like he just, he took these Enka songs or these sort of like pop songs and just added like his rock and roll, like jazz and, and just sort of like wild 17 soul to it, I think. <laughs> yeah. He definitely did. I mean, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, he was near a military base when he was young and, you know, he was he, he had access to a lot of like records and things that, you know, even people in Tokyo at the time didn't have because this was, you know, these were American soldiers, you know, they'd, they'd get stuff sent over to them. And, you know, he would have he'd have access to a lot of the stuff. And, you know, so he was kind of, you know, on on beat, like he knew what was up and coming, what was happening overseas before anyone else and he had the opportunity to kind of implement this into his sound and his aesthetics and and the type of music that he thought was going to be the future and you can tell like he had a strong belief in what he was doing and he knew that you know what he was doing was going to be timeless i think and you know it, it succeeded because it's, it's timeless music we're, we're talking about it today you know yeah yeah and i think that's a good point about you know him having this almost like sixth sense for what was popular or like what was gonna hit because um one of the things i didn't realize um until i started kind of looking a little bit deeper was so he so he was scouted in like 71 72 but that was just around the time that sort of the group sounds like the tigers the spiders tempters um those groups were on the decline and there was this new thing coming up called new rock, but it wasn't like popular. It was sort of underground, you know, kind of um, heavy and um, alternative. And what was popular though were the Kaiokyoku. And I didn't realize that like Hideki at 16 saw this and was like, oh, okay, rock is out. I'm gonna be a singer. Like, I'm going to be a vocalist. I'm going to be, like, a, a, you know, an idol. And that, you know, just if you think, if he had been born either, like, five years earlier or five years later, 
he probably would have been the front of a rock band. But he hit just sort of in the sweet spot of where rock was just lame, boring, nobody liked it, you know, ugh, rock. <laughs> you, you still like you used to like rock music. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just hit right at that time. And yeah, like it's it's crazy because by the time you get to like 78, you have um, they were calling it Kayo Roku. Um, which is groups like Southern All Stars. like this melodic rock and um alice is another one Alice. um and you know if he had been born like maybe you know just a couple years later he might have ended up in a group like southern all-stars but it was just like the luck of time and he just hit like right as rock was just like lame <laughs> it's like the goldilocks zone of like yeah. musical genres you it's, know? yeah i mean it's just such a uh fate it was just fate <laughs> I mean, not to get too deep, but wow, like that's, that uh, it's crazy? almost like it's, it's, it's you know, I, I, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> it's so like, wow, like there's just no way of knowing like, wow, it's, what an incredible journey he's had musically, creatively, uh, you know, as an individual, like he, uh, he'll, he'll be remembered forever for sure. I think as long as there is uh, an internet and a, uh, you know, society and culture, I think Hideki Saijo is, is going to be up there and he's only gaining momentum even, you know, even after his passing, he's, he's getting more momentum now. And thanks to Twitter and social media and, you know, music sharing websites, he's, he's being listened to and he's being enjoyed by new generations, younger generations who are, you know, this is, 
this is their 80s in a way. This is like their 70s music, even though, uh, you know, it's not the 70s or 80s right now. But it's yeah. like they're they're experiencing their own youth through this like lens of the past. It's, 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 it's hard to put to words, but it's amazing what's happening now. It really warms my heart. It really does just to see um, the surge of interest because he he just was such a beautiful soul. I think just a a good a good man. And there aren't, I mean, no offense, but <laughs> there aren't that many, especially down yeah, in show business. I, I agree. Yeah, and and I feel like especially if you do want to get into sort of Japanese music, Hideki is a good place to start because you do see his influence. I mean, through the years, um, whether it's guys like um, Fujifumiya from the Checkers, um, who are a, a band out of um, Fukuoka in the 80s. But I mean, Fujifumiya, he had a lot of that Hideki emotion. Yeah, Machi, um, basically all three of the um, Tanokin Trio, um, Johnny's. Um, but then, yeah, then you get into the 90s, you get guys like TM Revolution, who he does this dance that I saw him and I was like, wait a second. That's the like Rora dance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what Hideki was doing in like um, in, in his performances of like Rora. I was like, whoa. <laughs> you know, it's just you see it echo down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of his uh, like live performances now, and you know, I do like live streaming DJ sets, and I've tr I've been trying to incorporate more like Hideki kind of like choreography, <laughs> only because oh. <laughs> it's so like amazing and like it's it's just fun choreography, and I'm like, well, even though I'm not a dancer and I'm really not coordinated, uh, <laughs> I try my best to like imitate it in like a you know a really loose vague way, and you yeah. know, it just it just comes across as fun, and like he he knew how to move. Move too. He didn't only know how to sing. He could move yeah. and he could dance and you know he's, he was a he was a whole package. Like he had everything going for him. Yeah, he was he was. Uh, I mean, he was like an athlete. I mean, he basically was like a professional athlete level um, sort of dancer and you know all the stuff that he did. But you know what your challenge is now? You <laughs> have to start the TikTok trend. <laughs> you know, I'm not even on TikTok. But <laughs> All right, so, so I don't know how to do that. I, like, I know I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at this age where, like, I, you know, TikTok, you know, I know what it is, but you know, I, I grew oh. up with Vine, you know, Vine yeah, so was. <laughs> I'm so like you're... TikTok. Wait a minute. <laughs> so you're with me then, because the... I, well, yeah, like I listened to this podcast and I was like TikTok, huh? I've heard about this. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what the kids? I put on my big spectacles. I'm like, wait, let me get a look at this thing here. What is I this hit, TikTok? I hit play on like my um, Yamashita Tatsuro like cassette tape. I'm like, mm hmm, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I'm just like, gonna ride on time. <laughs> <laughs> right. That is so funny. Um, 
you know, well, I, I'm grateful for TikTok because, you know, now so many more people are <laughs> able to listen to, you know, music that they probably wouldn't have access to otherwise. Yeah, and it's yeah. just creating more awareness. So more power to the TikTok kids. And, you know, hopefully they just start picking up on Hideki next. And, and who knows, you know, the sky's the limit at this point. Like anyone who knows what's going to happen with social media in the future. Like, you know, we'll, we might be able to, you know, at some point, because I know MIT is doing some memory kind of technology where you oh can access memories. So who knows? Like oh maybe we'll be able to like experience like Japanese people's memories when they're at the stadium, you know, oh technology and the way it's going. Like we we're uncertain how far it's going to go and to what extent. So, you know, there might be another resurgence again in, in the next 20 years when we have like immersive, you know, in brain uh, technology that, like transports you. Who knows? You know, like ghost in a shell kind of stuff. Oh, my God. That's crazy. You know what I want is I think there should be a convention and we can just play um, either like one of his concert films or just like live performances for like a crowd of fans and just like you know geek out and do the cheers and just like applaud but you know I don't want to see on like a big screen like a big like IMAX you know what you know okay that's what I want I want to blow up Hideki like <laughs> big game Hideki like 80 on IMAX. Oh, yes. Re-release on IMAX. Let's do uh, it. <laughs> like, I'm surprised he's not a hologram yet because, I mean, <laughs> blow up, you know, I mean, he's going to glow up because, you know, that's yeah. what kids say. Well, I'll get, glow, yeah. glow up 2080. <laughs> you all get our light sticks and, um, yeah, we'll we'll have some fun. Oh, my God. Yes. I cannot wait. I mean, it's it's, it's inevitable because, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's growing and, you know, he deserves more attention and he has that star quality that I think anyone maybe in the future is going to be like in immediate like translation software like that you could, you know, put in your ear or something. And you just, you know, you start to appreciate culture uh, that's not your own in a way that's intimate and personal. And, you know, you you feel something because a lot of people right now, you know, they hear Asian music, they hear K-pop they hear um, yeah. anything that's in a language that's not like American or, you know, English. Yeah. They don't, you know, they immediately turned off. Yeah. Well, the thing with K-pop, too, um, and just anyone who is listening that's not like already sort of well versed in Asian music. But I mean, the thing with K-pop is that it's an export genre and it's also very like the K-pop that we hear it's just a very narrow, narrow slice of like actual Korean music. Um, and yeah, like a guy like, um, well, like Miki Takashi, who wrote for Hideki, like he also wrote for um, this like very famous Korean um, uh, singer, Cho Young Pil. And he wrote for um, Teresa Tang, who probably was the other like big Pan Asian star. Uh, I mean, Teresa Tang is like legendary, um, but like this is this is the sort of the level that Hideki is on. He's on like Teresa Tang level. He's on Cho Young Pill level, but these are also this is not the kind of music that you hear um, exported to you in the West. Um, the K-pop that we hear, I mean, I you know I like it. It's pop music, <laughs> yeah. But um, it's it's not sort of representative of Asian music like at all. A lot of it, especially that, you know, somebody like BTS is really like the songs that you're hearing on the radio. They're very tailored to Western taste. They use a lot of Western songwriters. Um, it's not 
it's not really representative of Asian music. And I think if you you kind of go back and you listen to, um, yeah, a song like Bomber, like the cover of Bomber that I played at the top, like that's, um, or he does a cover of Southern All-Stars' um, Ellie, which is just... Oh, uh, yeah. That's a great one. <laughs> And like the Southern All Stars um, are worth maybe I should do an episode on them at some point, but because <laughs> Kesuke um, is like amazing. Um, but but I mean that's the kind of thing that you're not. It's not exported to you. It sounds kind of similar, like you're like, oh, okay, it's rock and roll, but you dig a little deeper, and and the influences are different. Like everything is just, it's a whole new world. So yeah, like dip a toe in, see if you <laughs> oh, like yeah. it. But dip a whole foot. Yeah, dip a whole foot. Like jump, like jump on in. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Hideki is a really great place. Um, if you've never heard anything, just because he he does have that sort of magnetism, that dy- dynamism that emotion, that power, like you really, you almost don't even need to understand, you know. That's what you know is good. Yeah, yeah, you just sort of hear him. And you can just like, you know what he's singing about, even if you don't understand the lyrics. Or when he does like those little like spoken word interludes and songs, (laughs) you know, like you don't need to know that he's saying that, you know, he's going to love you until he dies, that that, that's what he's saying. Because you're like, (laughs) oh, I know, you know, like, you can just, you can just feel it. You feel it. It like, transcends, like, language barriers. Mm-hmm. There's this genre, I'm, not, I'm sure you're probably aware of it, uh, called Future Funk. kind of like the gateway almost for a lot of this city pop music because it's um it's kind of like um uh like i'm gonna say gen millennial early millennial gen z kind of music production stuff where they would take uh asian music uh mostly japanese older music and kind of sample it but um in a way that's almost just 
straight up plagiarism. They'd put like a synthetic beat on top and make it more like a four on the floor kind of 808, more contemporary, but it's just still the same song, but just with a lot of distortion. And they'd call it something completely different. You know, they did help kind of expand city pop uh, before, because this was happening around like 2013, 20, 2014, uh, yeah, around, around then. And then, you know, 2016 is when city pop started expanding blowing up and now it is what it is but it, it just shows you you know plagiarism and and copying music it, it, in a way it has its merits um legally you know that's a whole different ballpark <laughs> legally is a different story yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know maybe we uh can um start wrapping up yeah yeah uh i don't know how i want to end it's not oh, like well. super depressing. Oh, I'm so happy to have been on this show. And, you know, it, it's, it's an amazing podcast and I can't thank you enough for your work. I think it's so important and uh, it, it's critical to, you know, culture and, and society understanding the past in a, in, a, in a way that makes sense for us in the West. And, you know, it, there's very few people doing it and you're one of them. And, you know, I think it's amazing what you're doing and I hope you keep doing it. And I'm sure, you know, eventually down the line, who knows what, what things are going to be like 10 years from now, you know, maybe K-pop and Asian music in general are, are going to be on, you know, radio here at some point or who knows what might happen, you know, but I'm just glad to be a part of it. And I'm, I'm so happy that you were, you know, you're doing it too. And, um, you know, I, I really do feel like we know we're kindred spirits in a way because, you know, it, this kind of music, it's not it's not for everyone. But slowly uh, but surely it is becoming almost mainstream in a way. I really that's um, that's really nice of you to say. <laughs> I um, yeah, you probably if you don't travel in like certain circles, I, I have gotten a lot of harassment online um, and it, you know, it gets kind of depressing sometimes um, when you think that that just no one is um paying attention but um i really i really appreciate that and um yeah i'm glad that there are other people out there who are just interested in um digging into the past and like in and bringing some like real context to some of these figures um these artists um who really were kind of these world-class artists that I mean, it's like you look them up in English and there's just nothing, absolutely nothing. And, you know, you kind of think like, wow, there is this whole movement, this whole like pop culture movement that happened on the other side of the world. And I want to know about it. I, I want that. I mean, that's honestly, that's why I started learning Japanese. I was kind of like, wow, <laughs> I want to know about this. Yeah, and no one's translating it, so I guess mm -hmm. I'm just gonna have to do it myself. Yeah, well, I mean that's that's quite the endeavor, and I'm, I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna do well. I mean, you're already doing amazing. <laughs> I mean, and part of the reason why this music is so special to me, at least, is because you know it's 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 part of discovery. Like I love discovering new music, yeah. and and this you know a like uh, older idol music and Japanese city pop and, and stuff from that era. It's um. It's kind of like looking at our own past in like a parallel universe in a way where it's it has inherent meaning that hasn't been plundered by like corporate you know evil overlords who just want to make remixes and reboots and just like there's no nostalgia left in our music in the west but yeah. this music you know uh, you know in japan and, and asia it still has like nostalgic value and you can feel it and it's familiar but it hasn't been you know you know done to death it hasn't been beat like a lot of our western you know 80s and 70s music 
Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you you do hear, you know, even the Beatles now or the Rolling Stones or, uh, you know, there's just these songs that, I mean, our radio especially has been so corporatized and commodified mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. monopolized that, I mean, you turn on classic rock and it's the same 10 songs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember I was listening, just I was just driving somewhere, just had the radio on and it was, I mean, I... I like I don't even it was like a brick in the wall born to be wild it's <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. something else I was just like it was just so on the nose and I'm, and I'm like really this is we're just gonna play these these same like 20 songs until the end of time but it's just like yeah like like you said like you just hop over into the parallel universe and there's a whole wealth of music that you haven't heard yet and it's all really good yeah so okay everyone all the teens all the teens that are listening you have your challenge (laughs) beat street on tiktok let's do Mm -hmm. it beat street yeah (laughs) all right so we may as well just uh go out with that song unless i've played it already in which case oh we'll just play it again (laughs) 